Welcome to Conversations with Sustain and You, a Sustain and You podcast series with Northwestern leadership around all things sustainability. I'm Greg Kozak, Director of Sustainability at Northwestern University. For those of you unfamiliar, Sustain and You is Northwestern's university-wide program that aims to engage students, faculty, and staff in reducing Northwestern's impact on the environment by incorporating sustainability into our campus operations and culture. To learn more, visit our website at northwestern.edu slash sustainability. And now enjoy conversations with Sustain and You, a Sustain and You podcast. With emerging evidence that many disadvantaged communities in the United States are being disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, today's podcast will focus on the indirect but connected theme of the unequal impact of environmental degradation and climate change on low-income, minority, and marginalized communities. Today's podcast is installment one of three, focused on the topic of environmental justice and the intersection of sustainability, equity, and environmental quality. Today, we are joined by Nancy Loeb, Associate Clinical Professor of Law and the Director of the Environmental Advocacy Center, or EAC, at Northwestern's Pritzker School of Law. She is also a member of the board and former board chair of the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Fun fact, I'm told she has been caught hugging trees, interested to hear more, is an avid hiker, and in fact, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to celebrate her 40th birthday. So, not only a tree hugger, literally, but a superhuman hiking machine, apparently. I can assure you, I did not do anything remotely close to that on my 40th birthday. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being here today, Nancy. Oh, hi, Greg. Thank you. Um, I think that's the first time anyone has ever described me that way, but I'll take it. (laughs) Well deserved. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. So what can I tell you about myself? I think first I'll tell you that I'm from the East Coast. And I've been in the Midwest for many years now, since I moved to Chicago, and I now consider myself a Midwesterner, which I think means nicer and a little (laughs) bit calmer. Um, I've always been deeply concerned about the environment. It's been a key part of my life, but it hasn't always been the center of my legal practice. I've practiced um, as an antitrust lawyer and been the general counsel of businesses. I've been a litigator and an advocate. And about 12 years ago, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to start the EAC at Northwestern Law School, um, today Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. And one of the particular joys for me is that I get to run a law clinic which means that I get to work on actual cases or projects that we choose to work on with law students. They are getting hands-on learning, and we are getting to work on things that we care very deeply about. Well, we're fortunate to have you here today and listen to your perspectives on environmental justice and your unique path that you've taken. So, Nancy, let's, let's dive in. And in a sentence, what does environmental justice mean to you and what got you interested in the topic of environmental justice and the interplay of sustainability and equity? I think it's actually more helpful to start by thinking about what environmental injustice means. Hmm. Environmental injustice means that some communities bear a heavier burden than others of pollution and contamination, both from historic pollution that's already in the ground or in the air, and from current activities taking place, 
usually industrial activities close up against residential neighborhoods. Typically, these are low-income communities, often communities of color, marginalized communities. So if we flip it, environmental justice means that no community is faced with living with this undue, unequal burden and the harms to health and well-being that come with it. As climate and sustainability issues are having greater effects on the environment and how we live, it has become clear that many of the harshest effects of climate change are and will continue to fall on environmental justice communities. Much of our work in the clinic was already focused on trying to assist environmental justice communities. And today, success in fighting for environmental justice requires attention to and recognition of the link to sustainability. Mm-hmm. One of the, the ways um, and something that I picked up on is in, in recent articles and discussions I've heard is how climate change and environmental justice and injustice, if you will, um, piggyback on what you uh, just mentioned is really the result of a society that values some lives and not others, right? Um, I think that's certainly a part of it. And I think another part of it is that all of us want to live in the nicest circumstances that we can. And to the extent we have the resources to do it, we arrange our lives to avoid contamination and pollution. And lower income people people who have always been margin, marginalized don't have the resources to move away. And unfortunately, we as a society, and this is true in Chicago and surrounding communities, have a tendency to assume that industries that pollute don't belong in the neighborhoods of wealthier people. And rather than cleaning them up, we take the easy way out and move them mm-hmm. to neighborhoods where there are already a lot of industrial industries practicing or engaging in their activities. Unfortunately, they are already uh, putting a lot of pollution into the air, into the water, into the soil. And there are residential communities very nearby. And every time we add another one of these activities, these communities bear the cumulative effects so that wealthier majority communities have the benefits of a clean, healthy environment and the people who cannot afford to move continue to be dumped on. And there's another reality that our society is not as fair as it should be. And historically, in addition to moving contamination to lower-income communities of color, we have actually built our infrastructure in ways that separate these communities Mm -hmm. from other communities, other wealthier communities. And that has made it even easier for us to ignore the communities that are subjected to the environmental injustices. For example, in Chicago, we built our major highways directly 
to separate the south and west sides of the city from the north and east sides of the city. So we put in physical barriers that actually separate communities and make it possible for people who are living in a nicer, cleaner, less polluted communities never even to see the communities that are suffering from these these harms. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned in my intro how some of these minority and marginalized communities are, are suffering disproportionately from COVID. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I've heard journalists say the repercussions of environmental injustice have become even more obvious within this, this pandemic. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on if and how the current pandemic has shown a light on this issue of environmental injustice in under, underserved communities or otherwise? Unfortunately, it's both shown a light and it's exacerbated already bad circumstances. We now know that there is significant evidence that communities of color and low-income communities are in fact suffering not only higher incidences of COVID, but much more serious outcomes when they contract COVID. Uh, with respect to the outcomes, one of the factors seems to be that people in these communities are already su suffering numerous ill health effects, including ill health effects directly related to the pollution and contamination that they face every day. In particular, lung damage and heart disease are common and disproportionately common in communities with heavy pollution and exposure to other sources of contamination. So um, a double harm, COVID is hitting these communities and not only are they um, being affected by just COVID itself, but the complications are much worse because of the health problems there already suffering from the environmental injustices that they live with every day. Mm -hmm. Nancy, in my intro, I, I, I mentioned the sort of indirect theme of COVID and climate change. But, you know, the more I talk to individuals like you and leaders in this space, there is this interconnectedness between the two. And so if we could maybe shift to climate change, you know, how are environmental injustice and social inequity already in evident in the growing toll of climate change in these disadvantaged communities? Yeah, so many, um, if not most of these communities are located in the least um, economically desirable geographic locations and the least safe. So they tend to be in particularly low-lying areas that are subject to flooding. We've seen from climate changes in the last few years, especially here in the Midwest, much heavier storms than um, had happened historically. And this is expected to continue. As a result of the storms, we've seen significant flooding. So people living in low-lying areas are 
I'm experiencing flooding. And they are also already living in areas where we have things like Superfund sites and contamination in the ground and contaminated waste. And when those areas experience flooding from storms, things like waste and bacteria are exposed and carried in floodwaters and carried right into their communities. So today already there's no question that there is this very unfortunate and negative link between life in environmental justice communities and climate change. Yeah, indeed. Um, so I wanted to back up to something I mentioned when I was introducing you, but you lead the Environmental Advocacy Clinic, or EAC. Not many people know about this group. Can you just talk a little bit more about the work that the EAC does? Oh, yes, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I love to talk about our work. And um, a lot of that is because of how great our clients are and how wonderful it is to work with the students at the law school. Uh, so our work focuses in a few different areas. Um, a lot of it is work with environmental justice communities. And I'll tell you about that a little bit more as well. And we also have a large focus on sustainability and climate and energy issues. And um, of course, some natural resources protection. So environmental justice communities were typically fighting for faster and better cleanups of pollution that already exists or in some instances, we are fighting the relocation of dirty industries into environmental justice neighborhoods that are already carrying far more than their share of the burden of pollution. Um, a good example of that right now, we represent the Southeast Side Coalition to ban Petco, which is a community group of residents of the Southeast Side of Chicago who have already had to fight against piles of black, oily pet coke and contamination from manganese and arsenic and other heavy metals. And now there is an effort to move a very dirty and um, frequently cited by environmental officials um, recycling, industrial recycling facility from... Mm -hmm. Lincoln Park from the Lincoln Yards area. Yep, I know it which, well. <laughs> which is going to be an even more elite and um, prosperous neighborhood than it has been for many years now. And this facility is scheduled to move to the southeast side, where, as I said, they've already been exposed to so many contaminants. And it's incredible to work with the coalition and other groups who are fighting hard to say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. and it's an honor to be able to work with them. We also have some really great partners we've been able to work with, some of whom have been introduced to us through other parts and friends at Northwestern, whom I would like to give a shout out to, especially the Institute for Sustainability, Sustainability, and Energy at Northwestern, or ISIN, mm -hmm. and some of our partners in um, the chemistry and environmental engineering departments. 
who have helped introduce us to people at the World Wildlife Fund and the Nature Conservancy. And we've worked on projects for them all around the world where we have, we meaning our students, have worked to research law and policy issues related to things like Arctic underwater noise and how it affects cetaceans or the effects and legal issues related to development of infrastructure in the Amazon. And most recently, a student um, looked at laws and was able to make recommendations for development of solar facilities in Cambodia. Uh, We also work more locally with Elevate Energy, an organization Mm -hmm. in Chicago that's devoted to bringing energy efficiency to low-income neighborhoods. And we're currently doing a lot of work in Illinois on legislation that we hope will be passed in the fall called the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which is, just as it sounds, intended to bring more clean energy and more clean energy jobs to Illinois. You know, I'm glad you brought up the the Lincoln Park scrapyard that they're planning to move. I I said I'm familiar with it because I live in Lincoln Park. It's a historically affluent community. And it sort of gets to this point of how really environmental justice and justice is tied to racism, right? It's, it's almost like it's, it's telling us it's okay to value some lives more than others. It's okay to move this scrapyard so some people can have a cleaner environment so others can struggle with it. You know what I mean? And it just, it's, it just kind of gets to the heart of this issue, right? It does. The area in Lincoln Park where this facility is currently located is an overwhelmingly white, affluent neighborhood. And the people who live there have rightly complained about the dirty practices and terrible pollution being added to the environment there, as well as the noxious smells and just in May, two explosions. Mm -hmm. And we are at a point now where the city of Chicago is saying, we agree, Lincoln Park, this doesn't belong in your neighborhood. So we, the government, the government that is supposed to protect everyone is going to help them move to the southeast side of Chicago, where within a mile of the site they're locating at, um, the population is overwhelmingly Latinx, and within Mm -hmm. three miles, significantly Black as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt that the scrapyard is in a very desirable river corridor, highly developable area, right? That's right. But I would say, I would add to that, that the site they're moving to is right up against the Calumet River. Why shouldn't we be developing the riverside on the southeast side for the people who live there the same way that we are developing the north side river access? It's a very fair question. Um, listening to you here today, I'm, I'm learning a, a ton. I'm surprised to hear a lot of, of what you're saying. But in your experiences, w- what have you learned in your time looking at this issue of environmental justice that people are oftentimes surprised to hear? 
I think more than anything, people are just surprised to be confronted with and learn about environmental justice. Because we do such a good job in our cities and in our country of separating and segregating people by race and by income, it's possible for people who live in more affluent neighborhoods, who grow up like me, hugging trees and caring about the environment (laughs) and wanting to protect it, to not even have an awareness that when they're talking about protecting the environment, that there are so many people living in communities where the environment is what threatens them. And I'll add that even people who know about environmental justice and think about it aren't generally making the connection between climate threats and environmental justice. And it's so important that we do that so that we can help protect these neighborhoods and mitigate that mitigate the harms from the changes in climate that will come, as well as to force cleanups and better attention to climate change and sustainability issues overall. That's great. So selfish plug here, um, Sustain and You recently launched a virtual book club. And besides your own publications, of course, are there any specific books, articles, authors that you would recommend one should read on this particular subject that we could bring to our virtual book club members? And so the first thing I'll say is that I hope I'll be invited to join the virtual book club. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how, <laughs> we'll see how many uh, <laughs> listeners we get. <laughs> <laughs> I promise to participate every month or every quarter, however you decide to do it. Um, yeah, there are a couple of journalists whom I recommend who really do a great job of focusing on environmental justice issues. One is Sharon Lerner, who does really in-depth coverage of environmental issues for The Intercept, which is an online newspaper, not quite sure what we say, um, that is available on, it's available online free of charge. And then I want to give a plug to a former Medill student grad who also does terrific writing on these issues, Kevin Stark. And I follow him on Twitter and you can pick up his articles by following him as well. In terms of sustainability and EJ issues, I also think Grist and Zocalo Public Square, both Mm. available online, are terrific sources of information. And then I get and read Echo Watch newsletter Mm -hmm. pretty much every day. It's one of the first things I see in the morning, and it helps me know that I'm not missing anything. Focused more on the effects of climate change itself, um, I'm currently reading an interesting book called The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert, which is about just what it sounds like. It's what we are doing to the world, to the environment, and what we are bringing on by our failure to address climate change. 
All right. So my last question for you, and again, this one is, is personal um, and one that I, I selfishly want to ask because I get asked the same question and I'm oftentimes at a loss for words, but what, what actions can Northwestern students, faculty, staff, even residents of Evanston and Chicago take to acknowledge and or support environmental justice, but more importantly, dismantle this, con- this environmental injustice issue? So the first thing I'll say is that I'm, as I said, really fortunate and proud to be teaching at Northwestern because of the focus at the university and the resources the university is putting on environmental and sustainability issues. And just the fact that you are doing this podcast to bring attention to environmental justice issues, I think is so important. And I'm greatly appreciative of that. My advice for people who are directly involved already in the Northwestern community is we have a multitude of organizations at the university already, um, especially student organizations focused on environmental issues or justice issues. And I urge people to just get involved with them. Everyone should go online and talk to people and find out wherever you're living what the environmental and environmental justice issues are in the community. If you just go on to something like Google Maps and hone in on your neighborhood, be surprised at what you can see, including things like waste dumps and polluted rivers. And it's... As you focus in on them, you'll, you'll find out about the groups that are involved there. Walk or ride your bike around and see where these problems are. And then take the steps to become involved. Volunteer and give your time. Caring about it, unfortunately, isn't enough. We actually mm-hmm. have to do things. And the other thing I'll say is anyone should feel free to reach out to me at the law school if they're looking for ways to get involved. Well, that's great. And, and thank you for, for offering up your assistance and support. Uh, I'm, I might be reaching out. Um, Please do. <laughs> so you've mentioned your work at the Environmental Advocacy Clinic. You know, what else are you up to? What's next for you um, in the near short term? What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about the fall semester, which starts mm-hmm. for us at the law school. Um, a week earlier than it would have Mm -hmm. because of COVID, so in August. So I am now deeply engaged in um, getting our projects together and speaking with our partners to make sure that there is great and important work for our students to work on in the fall. And while things are a little bit quieter over the summer, we're continuing to work with our current clients um, in East Chicago, Indiana, and in the southeast side of Chicago, um, especially right now, fighting the possible relocation of this very dirty <laughs> recycling mm-hmm. facility. That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how that progresses. Nancy, we're nearing the end of our podcast, unfortunately. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with us today before we say goodbye? I 
truly believe that we have both the responsibility and the ability to make the world a better place for everyone. We need to make our voices for justice heard. And we also really need to do the hard work it takes to clean up and protect our environment so there's a better today and a much better future that everyone can share in. Well, I, I couldn't have said it any better than that, so I won't even try. So on that note, um, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you again so much, so, so much, Nancy, for sharing your thoughts and perspectives with us. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love hearing about the work that you're doing, both not only at Northwestern, but at the EAC. You know, just thank you once again for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Greg. And thank you for your leadership on sustainability at Northwestern. Well, this has been Conversations with Sustain and You, a Sustain and You podcast series with Northwestern Leadership. This was episode one of three on the topic of environmental justice and the intersection of sustainability, equity, and environmental health. Join us for installments two and three of Conversations with Sustain and You on the topic of environmental justice, and we'll speak to Medill Professor Patty Lowe and Medill Associate Professor Abigail Forstner. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.